Today on Podcast by the Bay, current San Bruno Mayor Rico Medina. What I've been honored, as you said, the, the elected mayor, is it is, a, it is a privilege. Could I have believed that as a young man at Cappuccino High School that I was going to be its elected mayor? Would have never thought that. I've also worked for the city of San Bruno, so a unique perspective there. I was a city employee. So I get it. I know what it's like to be in the trenches. I know what it's like to take a salary freeze. Discussing all things regarding San Bruno and his vision for the future to come. So this has a unique community that is, I think, just realizing its potential. I want to hopefully bring us together. And it's not about where I live, what street I'm on, whether I'm on the east side of El Camino, the west side, or in the hills. That it becomes a community. It really is what it always has been. We have faced crisis. And we always come and we get through them, whether it was the explosion, the YouTube shooting. This community has resilience and courage that make me an honor and very proud man to have lived here, uh, to call it home, and to be its elected mayor. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends about Podcast by the Bay and what's happening here on the peninsula. And so today, we're going to get back to our Mayor on the Peninsula series. And we're going to showcase the Mayor of San Bruno, and that's Rico Medina. And so, Patrick, you got to meet Rico. You got to go down to City Hall down there. So tell us about Rico and tell the listeners about San Bruno. Well, let's start out with San Bruno. I lived in San Bruno. It was my second uh, apartment after moving out of my house in Daly City. And I found out where the sun shined. This was on Whitman Way right next to what otherwise is known as Shelter Creek, which is condos. Uh, San Bruno was incorporated in 1914. The population in 2010 was around 41,000. It's about probably about 45,000. It's between South San Francisco and Millbrae and the International Airport. They're also adjacent to the Golden Gate National Cemetery, uh, which they have uh, a lot of activity during the uh, during Memorial Day, and it's uh, a beautiful beautiful, beautiful cemetery in which the Boy Scouts are quite active, putting the flags onto the uh, the graves of the veterans. Um, San Bruno, as you know, um, has a Mediterranean climate. Uh, the, the weather conditions are a lot warmer than South San Francisco and Daly City. Uh, not as nice as going a little bit further down the peninsula, but a great location. 
Um, as you know, that they have locations there for BART, the BART connection. They've got a lot of new development happening. Um, I feel very honored to um, have the opportunity to interview Rico Medina. And, and I have to tell you, it was very challenging to meet with him. Uh, he has an extremely good staff. They wanted to know the questions I was going to ask Rico. Um, Rico was very, very, very well prepared. Um, Rico was also familiar. I'm a Lions president of Foster City Lions. He he was at the the dinner for uh, one of the installation of some of the Lion presidents. Um, Rico was very candid. He was a local person. I mean, his heart opened up to me. Um, Rico um, remembers back when he was in high school at Cappuccino High School, and I asked him how he got into public service, and he said he was working on a project for a young gal named Stephanie Hargrove who needed a bone marrow transplant, and his class raised $10,000, and boy did the door open. I was a JC president at that time in San Mateo, and I just started real estate, and it was in the 80s. And um, a gentleman named Tom Papa George, who was a roommate with me, was very active in the JCs. He was president. He brought before our club to do a march or a walk for Stephanie Hargrove to help raise money. So little did I know, the, the beginning of meeting Rico was way back in the, in the 1980s when he was in a senior uh, at Cappuccino raising money to, uh, to raise money for Stephanie Hargrove for a bone marrow transplant. Um, it was a nice walk. We did a walk with the JCs. He did a walk um, with the high school kids. They raised over $10,000. He was hooked. He wanted to make a difference in people's lives. Stephanie Hargrove needed a bone marrow transplant. Her parents didn't have adequate insurance. It wasn't a successful story at the end. We, they did lose the life of Stephanie Hargrove. But it's how we brought Rico into the picture and how Rico is giving back to the community. Uh, Rico works in the area. He works in San, San Bruno. He works. He also started out working for the city of San Bruno uh, in the capacity of, of, of personal service and, and also working with the different departments. He also works for a plumbing company, and he kind of manages that plumbing company. Um, he's, he was elected to city council in 2005. He worked with Mayor John Ruane. We, um, he also worked diligently during the fire. If you can recall, Andre, we had a fire uh, that, that, that uh, caused quite a few deaths and also burned quite a few houses right off Skyline in San Bruno. Um, now we have an endowment fund. Uh, PG&E acknowledged uh, some responsibility there. And they have a fund which is being managed not necessarily by the city people, but an outside organization. We talked about housing. We talked about transportation. We talked about collaboration between different cities. Why couldn't Millbrae and San Bruno work together on some transportation? Uh, why couldn't they work with South San Francisco? So collaboration was a good word uh, with Rico. Rico wants to collaborate and work with other cities, surrounding cities. He realizes most of all that we're all in it together. Each city has its own uniqueness. We talked about the Wiener Bill. Um, at that time, the Wiener Bill uh, was still out there and they're still being pushed. As we know, 827, the Wiener Bill, which was a hammer, so to speak, from the state to try to force cities to do affordable housing. San Bruno works with affordable housing on a project by project. Uh, they try to get anywhere from 10 maybe to 15%. Um, 
We have to look at San Bruno with a uniqueness, too. And, and Rico is going to mention this. I asked him, as you know, San Bruno is the only city that elects their mayor. The only city. And it is a two-year term. Um, and the scuttlebuttle on the history of it, and I'm going to let Rico explain it, was is at one time somebody was overlooked for mayor. So in the city of San Bruno, I don't know when that was. I think Rico's going to mention that in the interview. They said, well, the mayor should be elected. And the mayor is elected in San Bruno, the only city on the peninsula, to a two-year period. Just because he's mayor elected to the mayor doesn't mean it's his real full-time job. He does a full-time job, too, besides this. I want you to listen close to Rico. I am honored to have the opportunity uh, to interview Rico. I think you're going to learn a lot from him. I know a lot of the same people he he knows in the community. And he, again, is going to talk about transportation. He's going to talk about housing. Um, he's going to talk about schools. He's, he's going to talk about just about anything that affects the city of San Bruno and the surrounding cities. So stay tuned. And I, I'm telling you, Andre, it was well worth it, the opportunity to interview I'm looking forward to, for us, Andre, somehow to get that Menlo Park mayor, to get the Atherton and the Hillsboro. So if anybody out there in podcast land has enjoyed our podcast interviews and you live in those surrounding cities, reach out to your mayor and ask them, why don't you interview with Podcasts by the Bay? We want to learn a little bit about you. That sounds like a plan, Patrick, and we're definitely excited to present the Peninsula Mayor Series and really speak with all the mayors mayors, um, from all the corresponding Peninsula Series. So just quick before we get to the Rico Medina uh, exclusive interview here on Podcast by the Bay, and for those of, I think most of us in the Bay Area on the Peninsula, we've actually have had a story about some of these communities, and I'll just tell you a quick story about San Bruno. I actually have family that, that lived in San Bruno for pretty much most of their life. And I used to, as a kid, I would go down to Cherry Avenue right there. Now, Cherry, and I think it's the, is it Bayside? Is it Bayside Shopping Center right there? Is that the one it's called? Bayside, I believe it is. Um, Bay Hill Shopping Center. The Bay Hill Shopping Center. And so the Bay Hill Shopping Center used to have kind of like a longs, and it was just a very kind of a simple kind of uh, you know shopping center. Next thing you know, Gap moves in. And boom, all of a sudden, now what's down there? You actually have the headquarters of YouTube, which is Google, right? The headquarters. I mean, that is fascinating, right? I mean, it's a fascinating how San Bruno went from, you know, just a regular kind of a, you know, you had condos and apartments. And all of a sudden, you have the headquarters of YouTube right there in San Bruno. And, of course, of those of you who remember just recently, they actually had that, that YouTube shooting, uh, which, you know, which we did have a, a discussion about gun violence recently. And so that kind of ties into the whole gun violence thing that we, we actually had a discussion about. So, Andre, let me interject one thing. I, it's a very unique thing about San Bruno and very similar to Foster City. San Bruno has their own police department and fire department. Remember, um, they're independent, so they haven't merged with surrounding cities, so that takes a lot. Foster City still has an independent police department, but as you know, Milbrae and some of the other surrounding cities have the sheriff, as well as San Carlos. But I'm glad you brought up the YouTube. He was saying how well organized it was working with the San Bruno and local law enforcement agencies around with the county and with the sheriff, and they were really, really on top of that, and there was a lot of pride and that they made sure that there wasn't any, I don't think out of that one, there was many fatalities. Was there on that, Andre, at all? I believe there was four fatalities total. And, 
you know, the, the, the interesting thing about that, and that we've actually had this discussion in our kind of our meetup series with just our group that we meet up with. And we actually did talk about how the story had changed three or four times by the time actually the real story came out. So I think that was an interesting point about the whole Google incident. And no one talks about it now. We haven't heard a story about it. That's a big news in my opinion. So anyways, I'm glad that the police department and really the local law enforcement were really right there. They really handled the situation. It was well presented. Um, it was interesting to see the, the police chief speak right after the incident. So I think uh, anyways... Uh, you know, that, 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 that incident was, you know, it just kind of highlighted really that, yeah, YouTube's right there in San Bruno. And the other thing I want to point out about San Bruno is we also have Skyline College. And that's something we don't talk enough about really, um, you know, our community colleges and really some of our, you know, just uh, the, the importance and the significance. I went to Skyline. I went to Skyline for probably, I think, four years, three, four years. And I got to say, it was one of my best experiences in all my colleges I went to. I really enjoyed Skyline. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and get to the Rico Medina uh, interview here at Podcast by the Bay. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can always follow us at Twitter, and that's at Podcast by the Bay, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. So with that signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Friday uh, and it's before the Memorial Day weekend. Or is it the Labor Day weekend? Which Memorial. one? Is? Memorial. Memorial Day. I wanted to make, sh- make sure that we had it right. Um, we have the honor of interviewing Rico Medina. He is the uh, current mayor um, in San Bruno. Well, welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Rico. Thank you, Patrick. And nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for taking your valuable time out of out of your um, hard work that you're putting in for the public service. If you could let the people in uh, podcast land know, uh, how long have you lived in San Bruno, and what do you do besides being mayor here in, in the city of San Bruno? Fair question. So for myself, I've lived in uh, San Bruno my entire life. So uh, as a young person, as you know, it's always. Uh, we speak about leaving and moving away. Somewhere has more to do, uh, but I've ended up living here. My grandparents uh, moved here. My parents lived here, and uh, I live here. So I've been privileged enough to see the evolution and uh, growth of our community, but I have lived here my, my entire life, gone to Cappuccino Local High School. Uh, as far as what else I do, uh, for us, as you know, on the Marin City Council, we have uh, regular jobs. So I work Monday through Friday just like my community does, a working class community, and um, work over in the city of San Mateo uh, for a plumbing company. And uh, that's what I do during the day. And then obviously uh, I'm able, thanks to my employer, to be able to take the time I need in order to serve the residents of San Bruno. Well, how'd you get in politics, Rico? That's, you know, uh, that's a... A big question, and you know, was there somebody that inspired you to say, hey, I, I want to make a difference in my community? I think where it started was at my high school level. We had a leadership class that was taught by Mr. Deb McKenzie, who's still a resident of San Bruno, was at my installation as mayor. Uh, always great to have that uh, available to me as a resource. It taught me back then when I got involved in uh, being appointed to a committee by the city council back when I was a sophomore at Cappuccino about being engaged, and that was the Crime Prevention Committee. But what also took root was a fundraising effort done for a young four-year-old, Stephanie Hargrove, who had bone marrow 
uh, cancer. Well, I've got to share something with you about yes. this, Stephanie. I'm, I'm, I was uh, in the JCs at the time, and my president at that time was a personal friend of mine, was Tom Papa George. We had a walk, or we walked for Stephanie Hargrove to raise that money for the bone marrow transplant. Wow. So, small so what, a, what a connection. To recall. I had to share that with you, and that goes quite a few years back. It does. Back. Yeah. Small world. <clears throat> Mr. Devin Tenzi, uh, his son was in the nursery school with Stephanie Hargrove, and that's how the connection happened. And so he came to me as student body president and said, Rico, what would you think if we rally the school together to do this? Back then, that was not covered under insurance. So really, you had the parents begging for money for an operation to help save their child. So back then, in those days, <clears throat> this school came together. Even we had somebody who flew an airplane, then PSA, Captain Jetlag, back and forth from L.A., fundraising dollars for miles, uh, chamber lunches. The school did rallies. We did the walkathon that the nursery school did and supported. And what I saw was a community and a high school bunch of kids come together to do something not about them, but about something greater than them. And I will tell you the, the worst part of it was is after I graduated, she came out of remission, unfortunately, and passed. And I remember going to that funeral with an open casket and balloons there. I've never forgotten it. And consoling their parents, and their parents, though, being so thankful and appreciative of that we did not know her, but that we reached out and embraced them, loved them, and supported them along the way. Well, Rico, you kind of bring in, and I wasn't going to bring this subject up, but it kind of embraces what's currently happening in the country right now. As you notice, a lot of the high school kids around are... Uh, clamoring around uh, all the tragedies that we've seen and uh, all Columbine and all the Sandy Hook and all the school incidents too. So I think that, that feeling of that inspiration to make a difference is coming back with the young people today in high school. Do you see that coming back? I agree. And I think that they are starting to realize that one standing alone may not, but a group and with passion and dedication to a cause, it does. And I did learn that, that one person can make a difference. My goal has been then and it is now to leave it better than I find it because this community has done so well for me personally, uh, emotionally, and in my heart and soul. Like the Warriors t-shirt says, strengths in numbers. Absolutely. So, Rico, how long have you been in, in uh, city government? Um, did you start on a commission <laughs> at first? Or? I started on a crime prevention committee back as a sophomore in high school when the city council appointed me, and I have been on a committee commissioner board ever since then. Okay, and what year was that? That was uh, sophomore year, so 1981. So you haven't, you haven't walked away from community service in the government at all? So I have you, not. Okay. Um, why don't we just, just for a couple moments, and, and I wasn't planning my interview to go this way, but it seems to be going that direction because I want to kind of go through the course of history. San Bruno had an horrific fire in 2010, um, and uh, PG&E took a lot of accountability for that, and the community galvanized together. How's that going right now? I know you guys have a foundation. Uh, and you guys are uh, have a board, yes. and they're trying to make some decisions on how to spend the money in a protective way for the for the things. Why don't you tell the audience, that especially some of the people that maybe that's in the back of their memory? It just seems like it was yesterday, and it was 2010, and today's 2018. So give us a little summary there. What's going on? Uh, as far as <clears throat> obviously, it, it was a PG&E pipeline that uh, uh, on that night at about 6:11 erupted. And uh, the mayor, then Mayor Ruane and I were at a chamber event and went up there and uh, remained there up until probably the next morning coming down to the emergency operations center. Um, it was horrific to feel the heat, to hear the noise of it spewing out. 
to watch a neighborhood burn, to watch the wounded be transported. Um, and subsequent to that, it was something that uh, obviously when the council walked a few days after it, when it was safe, um, it was devastating. It was almost as a war zone. And when Jim and I, the mayor then, uh, went to the NTSB hearings and watched some of the video from a different angle from Earl that we hadn't seen, it was a flashback to the horrific uh, tragedy that happened up there. Uh, yes, you're correct. PG&E, uh, uh, through the NTSB and courts and others and themselves, have taken a lot of, uh, of that uh, situation that occurred that should not have and could have been averted. Um, what happened out of that is we had a restitution fund that was established, as you indicated, with a community foundation that the council appointed. Very independent from the council, but they, with that, have offered grants uh, to the community, scholarships for students, and are now the biggest effort is the community aquatics facility at San Bruno City Park. And that is what, through a listening campaign that they really went through, uh, what the community has wanted, and now we're meeting with the community to go through what do they envision? What do they see for its future? We've always said something good has to come out of this, um, and that is will be something long-lasting beyond my days uh, that will be there um, to give good to the community that suffered so much. Okay, well, that kind of leads into my next uh, topic. Um, uh, to my understanding, the population in, in San Bruno is approximately 42,000, maybe pushing 43. We're in a we're in a kind of a crisis on housing, so I've got a couple questions for you. Um, one: Does San Bruno ha have any policy as far as a project? Certain cities do, and certain cities don't. Example: In Foster City, in Foster City, we have a twenty percent requirement of either below market rent or affordable housing. So I'm going to ask a two-part question. One, do you have a percentage based on project? And two, what kind of new developments that you have besides rental units are for either the new buzzword is workforce housing or affordable housing? We'll talk about that a little bit, but I wanted to hear what you had to say and, and what, where San Bruno's going with that. Yeah, and that's how every community is facing that. So our arena goal is uh, 1150. We have a remaining of 1042, which needs to be accomplished by 2023. We have a 15% to answer your question. Um, and that is something that is critical. I was just in a meeting this morning with a development just down the street, uh, which will be having uh, meeting that objective. And because obviously we're being pushed through Sacramento that is saying we need to move faster. So we have... Uh, been doing housing. We've approved a project that is up at Skyline College that there will be housing, but there also is going to be faculty housing for the community college district as they have at CSM and Kenyatta. So that will be there and available. So the community continues to have development uh, more than it has seen. Um, it's now maybe come to our time. There's a lot of development going on. Some people think too fast in some cities. Ours is a little slower, but it's about bringing in buy-in from our community and making sure all stakeholders are, are at the table. Um, but but yes, yeah, so we are still addressing that, and our projects are required to have that. Okay, so I, I, I want to extract. So you're saying you have a 15% requirement? Yes. Okay. Um, are, are, are you guys doing a lot of the cities now have gotten out of the funding of it and put their money into HART? Are you guys working with HART too, or are you guys still doing your... Uh, your own type of funding for first-time home buyers uh, or below market rent. We're do we're doing our own. 
You're doing your own. Yes, okay. A lot of yes. the cities collectively are starting to do that. Now, I don't know whether that's good or whether it's bad. I know that what happened in the last uh, crash of the real estate market and the economy, some of the cities lost some of that first-time affordable housing because it went to foreclosure. Uh, and so I, I don't know if that's going to pre- prevent that from happening again. And we also do work with hard side when you think we're we're not. Uh, Mayor Franzel, former Mayor Franzella was one who also was very engaged with the Heart Board. So uh, because they're offering all type of opportunities, um, I think that in our community, the challenge in any, but even in ours, seems to be affordable for, for some to begin. Um, however, nowadays, as you know, the signal comes up is really, is that really affordable? What we can offer it's still people are challenged in order to try to meet that. We have the villa that opened up, which people think is a senior housing specifically over by the crossing, but it's not. Others live there as well. But that was our real first step years ago in the old Navy base that we actually mm-hmm. had that. Um, but yes, as far as trying to establish that, it is going to still be, I think, a challenge way beyond me being off the council at whenever that time is, is the housing element and the cost and being able to remain. I mean, a lot of folks now are honestly, who own homes are saying, I've got to figure out a trust, I've got to figure out a way to leave it to family members because that may be the only opportunity they have to remain in the community. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing more of that than before. When when I started my journey of interviewing the mayors, um, and he's still active, and Senator Weiner was trying to pass 827. Um, and I wanted to, and I'm, I'm assuming your, your point of view on 827 is going to be similar than the other mayors that I talked to, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, uh, to kind of react. Uh, as we know, Proposition 827 was basically t- the state coming down with a hammer, so to speak, um, and basically saying that the uh, cities had to comply with uh, building housing and, and, and within a certain period of time. Um, maybe the, the, the idea that we have a shortage of housing still is a debatable issue, and we won't debate that today in our interview. Um, what's your feelings on regionalization, uh, the state coming in and saying, Sam Bruno, you're going to have to put 20% affordable housing in, you're going to have to do it by the year 2025. What do you think? I share what you probably heard from uh, my other colleagues, and I was up at the Progress Seminar where um, uh, State Senator Weiner was on a panel. And I will say that uh, he took it well, uh, as he heard from my colleagues. And it is a part about being a partner. So a lot of our colleagues in Sacramento have been council members. Uh, Ms. Uh, Scott Weiner obviously comes from San Francisco. And there may be that passion and the drive to do what's right, but it's about being collective. We, we're here at the grassroots where it starts. We're at the bottom. We understand it because we are connected to our community. And when they want to help us, like with redevelopment, but then take it away during a budget crisis. And then they want to impose some other restrictions and give us very little latitude or flexibility. It doesn't allow us to do our job to represent our constituents in the best possible way. We know our communities. Not everybody fits in the same puzzle piece. And we have to be working together to find solutions. I agree with that. But to have them just mandated uh, and, again, not given the tools, that I do not agree with. Okay, um, and let's go back to a couple of things that you brought. Uh, recently in San Bruno, and correct me, um, there's a couple of schools that have closed. 
Has there been any talk of taking those schools and, and maybe making them workforce housing? The buzzword, and it's probably going to spread to San Bruno, Start. I heard it in Foster City first, and maybe that's because I live there. We have a Saris Regis project, which is currently zoned for commercial and retail. Uh, the developer of the project has come back to the City Council and the Planning Commission, and uh, they've come back and said, uh, we would like to partner up and do a workforce housing where the developer would do so much of the development of the housing and we would get it below market. And then the city would be able to use that. I, I think the units were, were about 14 um, out of a, maybe a 70-unit project. And two of them would be probably subsidized housing. Another 12 of them would be workforce housing, which could be for first responders, could be for police, could be for teachers. We're still trying to work on those, that wording, and there's no defined thing. Is that word come across um, the council's uh, uh, agenda yet? Talking about developing workforce housing with the city? Uh, no, the the San Bernardino Park School District, which is a separate elected body, has uh, gone through the Seven Eleven process and deemed that El Crystal Elementary, Rollingwood Elementary, and also where the school district uh, Hesselgren is located are surplus. Uh, El Crystal within days will be closing uh, its long history. And then the uh, plan in a couple years is Rollingwood Elementary is next. So the, it is, that has just started, that process about reaching out to the entities to see if they're interested in that. Um, I have not heard anything from the superintendent or school board president in regards to what their objectives are. But I think their plan is that they need to sell the property. It's not going to be reutilized by them uh, because I think they, in their bigger scope, they're looking at those resources to put within the uh, current infrastructure system, like over to Allen Elementary, and to rebuild. So uh, I don't know what their plan is at this point, but it is now in the beginning stages of asking the agencies. And the reason why I brought that up, uh, they've had some successful um, projects that, you know, that goes way back when Stanford University has housing on for professors. You have Kenyatta College that has developed something. The College of San Mateo has developed something. So um, we're starting to hear the word campus housing. Is there any any opinion in your, in your thought process that campus housing could be adaptable for workforce housing? Well, I know that years ago over at Patola Elementary, they have a very large lot and it, they own it. And so there was thought for teachers and just economics of what it is for education uh, uh, costs and what they actually receive, then that never came to fruition. Uh, it was years ago, though. So do they have some land that they could utilize that or uh, make it workforce housing? They would have that opportunity. Uh, Rollingwood is a huge uh, parcel. The El Crystal is a smaller parcel, honestly, um, a along with Hesselgren. But in Rollingwood, they could embark upon that if they wanted. Um, there has been talk in the community, whether it's your public safety, whether it is your workforce. When I meet with the city employees, uh, we may have a first-time uh, home program. However, it is very costly. They're, they're challenged. Our public safety personnel, many do not live in, in the county anymore at all. And so uh, that is nothing that's really come – it's on our uh, immediate but that is something that has begun more of a discussion of, of a reality. Um, how many employees in the city um, actually live in the city of San Bruno? Is that 50%, 20%? I don't have the answer, but I would say it's under 50%. Okay. Okay. And that's kind of pretty standard what we're finding out. Yes. Um, 
I've had opportunity to ask the, the, uh, the big question, too. There's only two cities that, um, that probably said they have no problem so far that I've interviewed, and that's with the retirement, and that's Portola Valley and Woodside. Um, are you guys in the same position that many of the cities are as far as the retirement um, for, for retired employees and the uh, funding it? We basically, in, you know, oh, you in our PERS, the, PERS, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the liability? No, we, that is a that is something that the council was just updated on. We had a meeting last month on about uh, revenues, looking at that. Just we got to keep re- realistic that the service level needs to be maintained and people want more, but we also have to make sure that we're healthy and, and wise. Uh, no, we have unfunded liabilities, which is in the CAFR when we do the audits required, and that will be growing. It was astounding to me that in public safety alone, what it will be in a couple, I'd say – five years or less is, is I won't say doubling, but it's coming close. So I think communities that have been able to put it off uh, are going to have to deal with it. And I think it's, it's growth from the PERS because of what it's happening in the investment and what happened years ago uh, is going to start to uh, find a challenge for those communities, which we have unfunded liability. Uh, they're going to have to deal with it and start paying it down. Okay. Well, we hope that the investments and since the economy seems to be vibrant, will go up and yes. maybe it won't be as bad as it, it, it looks. Um, you know, I'm just going to go to another direction. You know, about 50% of the general operating expenses for most cities is police and fire. Correct. Okay. Um, we have a boom on the peninsula of building housing. Um, there's been some passion out there that the environmental impact reports that we used to make a decision whether we're going to build 20 units, 50 units, 100 units, is outdated, um, meaning we have a bigger population of people. We're building more units, and some of their concern is the protection for the people in the communities. As you know, um, some of the communities, I think San Bruno's part of that too, have developed CERTs, which is yes. Certified Emergency Response, which I think is wonderful. Um, so how do you how do you feel that we're we're doing with this development? Do you think the, that we need to look uh, closer? And I'm going to give you a two part series on it because mm-hmm. it's not just the police and fire that we're concerned about in the community, which is most important for whether we have an earthquake, a flood, or whatever it may be. But it is also the impact of the other stuff that we haven't taken care of, which means the streets, the the sewer, uh, the the e transformers. Um, so how do we grab a hold of that? Because everybody's building, and in San Bruno, I'm assuming it's similar to, to San Mateo, that we're seeing more rental units being built than we are seeing houses that are on the market for sale. I think you're right as far as uh, more are renting. You're absolutely correct. I mean, the Skyline College, there is going to be housing, homes, in addition to the uh, faculty housing. But yes, some of the projects, the, the one this morning, which is a looking further along, is about 40, 400 units um, and their rentals, you're correct. And um, what we are doing more is dealing with developers to say, okay, so the infrastructure, when it comes to the streets, when it comes to the lights, when it comes to those things, because the cities back then thought it was great, well, why don't I take on the street lights? Why don't we own them? Well, that was great thought way before my time, but the, obviously the age, the replacement costs, and then the city's burden with them, and then therefore the ratepayers, the taxpayers are. So I think we're looking more toward that path, trying to see what uh, impact may happen to the community and trying to work with the developer to say, okay, we have to figure out something that works or the infrastructure needs to be mm-hmm. uh, updated, upgraded, and, and we need you to be a part of that process. 
and I think that's helping. As far as adding more population, which our, our community will have, um, than the police and fire that you brought up. So it is always a concern of mine because obviously it takes very little for a community to see a rash go up. We've been very blessed, I believe, and I, I sleep well at night with our public safety personnel, fire and police. But at some time, too, you can be stretching that. You can be burdening them beyond what you know. And obviously we need the well-trained, uh, well-positioned, and we need adequate numbers. People all want more done on the streets or traffic control, but that's been one area that most cities will draw back on and put it elsewhere. So in order to keep up with the rising population, I think at times cities have to, though it's very expensive for public safety. You hit that correct. Um, but they provide a service that I will tell you at that moment's notice, when you pick up the phone or you scream for help and they arrive, they're worth every penny. And I think to assure a community that it has its best and there to protect. Sometimes we have to look inward on how do we continually fund them and keeping them where they you, need to be. Uh, you're a very unique city, if I'm not mistaken. Your uh, police and fire department are independent, isn't it? Isn't that still the case here in San Bruno? You are correct. Both police and fire are independent. You know, and that and that's a unique situation because as we've seen down on the on the peninsula, um, and I'm going to use Foster City when I first was uh, talking in, or getting into civic minded frame at that time they were, uh, the buzzword is the most of the city didn't want to see that uh, Foster City uh, and San Mateo merged their fire department and as now we talk uh, Belmont, San Mateo and Foster City are all merged their mm -hmm. fire department the only thing that we have independent right now is is our police department so do you see it, do, uh, do you see that you guys can continue to survive because the cost of keeping a police officer and the pensions and uh, keeping the fire departments together. Has there been any talks of merging with any of these surrounding cities in any of those areas? Well, Patrick, we, we actually had uh, long ago when Milbray had their own uh, police department, we shared our police chief, then Neil Telford, and then we had discussions on a subcommittee basis to say, do we want to merge the two agencies together? So we did explore that at that time, and, and from our end, it was determined that our service level wasn't going to increase. Actually, it was going to be a little minimized. So it wasn't best for the residents of San Bruno. We also looked and we shared with Central Administrative Shared Services for a while. Um, that was under uh, Chief Lattice as well as uh, Chief K. Meyer. And so we tried that as they embarked upon it. But it also had it to bring down at the battalion chiefs to merge a Milbray and Burlingame fire station. And those discussions happened because certain cities, not ours at the time, were having challenges with the overall costs. As things evolved, then that kind of came through and, and Milbray went to uh, Central. And, and San Bruno probably has that option or had that option. One of my concerns personally on the subcommittee was that the governance board is of two Burlingame and two uh, Hillsborough members of the council who are good people and I, and I trust and have faith in them. But in essence, San Bruno would not have a voice. They would not be at the table. And for me, um, representing who I do, I think it's important that we be a part of that process. And I think that might have been a little bit of a sticking point. Oddly enough, it wasn't labor. Labor was willing to walk hand in hand together, So, which is not always the case. They're different unions, 856 and 2400. So um, can it, is, is it something that the city of San Bruno is open to in public safety and or other aspects? 
Yes, because you have to look at realistically shared services sometimes equal great savings. In this case, we did go down that path, and then uh, that stopped, and then we became uh, solely independent with our administration. Well, I, I've had an opportunity to interview a lot of different city managers and mayors, and some cities have money in reserves, mm -hmm. and some cities don't have money in reserve. Is San Bruno um, able to put money in reserve uh, for two, two areas? One, in reserve just in case you need it, uh, and two, I, I hear the new buzzword that's coming around is, is that they're telling us that Every city needs to have 30 days of reserve funds in case there is a catastrophe. Yeah, we did. When I first got on the council, our reserves, in my opinion, that was in 05, <clears throat> were very low. We have reserves now. We have a formula and we have a process in which we want certain areas capped, as you said, for emergencies, for et cetera, et cetera. We also have an equipment reserve so that we're putting away to replenish certain equipment and vehicles, which is smart. It's just like if you needed a car in 10 or 15 years, we're putting it away for it now. <clears throat> but we also do have uh, the better, the best reserves that I can recall in a long time. And we are able, the carryovers that we have, we put it into the reserves. So we do have various accounts that we can go to should we need to. And because an emergency can arise and we, we base it on a certain percentages of each category. If we were to surpass that, reserve balance and go over it, then that would come out and it could be utilized. Do you have, uh, um, some cities have what they call capital asset reserve where the, the city could partner up with the development of a project. Do you have anything, a capital asset account where maybe the, the city had sold a building that they owned or something that, that they could use the money to build workforce housing? Well, I mean, as you know, we, uh, cities sometimes get the funds. So I think we're at about $4 million that we have that can go to, to uh, housing or uh, affordable housing. So we have that in, in set. But as far as an extra reserve fund that goes to that, not to my knowledge. But we do have about, I think, $4 million now. And then that will be growing with the other projects. Okay. Is there, um, now it's up to you, Richard. What's your opinion? How do you think we can solve the housing crisis problem? We, we've got a couple sides of the fence. Some people say, where are we getting that figure that we need 180,000 houses a year? Uh, some people are challenging that. Um, do we need more housing? And if we do need more housing, how do you think we can get more housing in San Bruno? So we're just going to focus on San Bruno here. I think San Bruno, as I said, the possible development of 400. We're having 83. That now, where's the 400 units? The 400 is if you just, uh, we're on El Camino in San Bruno, if you just go a little bit far, farther north. I mean, just a few blocks to us north, it would be in this project. I'll show you a picture before okay. we leave. All right, perfect. Um, but that could be up to 400. It's, again, it's discussion phase. The, there's where the old cinema was. Okay. Uh, that's 83 units that's being built now. And then we have the Skyline College that just uh, was approved. So we are having projects that are coming forward. And there are other discussions uh, with remodels and other housing on El Camino Real. Uh, that are looking toward housing as well. So, to, but to go to your question of how does that number derive to 180,000 and, you know, where it comes based on, not, it's hard to, for us to understand too, because I think you also have in a community, this is a city that passed an ordinance, 1284, that said nothing over three stories. And we had our transit corridor measure end that said, okay, during these, we want to have it higher, which that passed. But that's been San Bruno was not always into growth. And so some people also say, enough. We don't want anymore. And what we have to say is, 
but we have to. We have requirements. We have obligations. So I think even in some cities are wrestling with validating it. Where are you going to place it? Because property in San Bruno too, we're about done with most property. Uh, there's not a lot of open space left in San Bruno. Well, you know, I challenged in, in about 20 years ago, I, and we were in a, or maybe 15 years ago, we were in a pretty deep recession, and I sat and talked to the Board of Supervisors, and I also asked the mayors, we have a lot of property in the state and in the county that is surplus land that is, that is basically not being used. And I would encourage you or any mayor or any supervisor to call on the state officials to find out where is this surplus land that's not being used because I think it is all the taxpayers saying and it would be my guess and I could be wrong that a lot of it is near the traffic corridor areas of the unincorporated area so probably could be used as corridor transportation house but it's just an opinion I know as you know when we went through this last little debacle the county of San Mateo uh, court system, we no longer own the building. It went back to the state and we're tenants now. So um, I'd, I'd sure like to know where that surplus land is because the, the, the thing is, and me being in real estate for 38 years, it's where is the land? We don't have it. And you bring up an excellent point uh, near where I work, uh, near North Amphlet, there is a courthouse that sits there and it has sat there and I've worked here almost there almost six years and it has sat there chained so you can't park in it. It sits there. It's still maintained. However, it has been there for that duration. So therefore, what are we going to do with it? Um, and to let it sit, it does no one any good. It's, is it going to be reused for a courthouse? I would, I would probably say I can win this bet. It will not. So to have it sit there when there's uh, options and opportunity, then that's what we have to look at. And that's when we talked earlier when you asked me about let's sit at the table. Let's talk about what we can do and have opportunities and solutions, but just to have it mandated uh, from the state when there's opportunities with uh, land that can well, be Well, I know developed. you know the mayor in, in, in uh, San Mateo. So yes, I Rick. Re re reach out to Rick. I know he'd be open to it. <laughs> okay. You know, that, that would be good. The other thing that, um, that we like to see is, uh, we're, which we're having a challenge in, and is transportation. Um, transportation and traffic is just as bad as the housing issue that we have on the peninsula. So what is San Bruno doing about it? And how do you think we can start to work in a more efficient way with the really lack of a transit district, number one? And the only thing that we have that, that we're proud of in the county is a clipper card. And, I'm, and I know we're, we were fortunate enough in San Bruno to, to, um, to have BART I want you to, to, I'm going to encourage you to listen to Dave Tanner, who is a former mayor and council, he's a current council person in Woodside. He is, has a proposed project that he's going around to every city. And his project is going to start here in San Bruno. If, if it, and, it, and it's going to be, um, uh, basically, it, it'll be a monorail system. It'll be very similar to the Japanese or the German or whatever. And his concept is to cook 380 up and the monorail aspect would drop off to all those cities Fresno, Martinez, uh, Gilroy, all of those one, important ones where it could probably relieve quite a bit of the traffic because the people could get in, in and out and buy houses too. 
Um, so I don't know if you know Dave Tanner. Um, I know he's yes. Yeah, we're going to release a podcast on him pretty quickly. Uh, he's currently engaging in trying to get a meeting with most of the city council people. Um, he, and he's got a video, and we should be having the video shortly because he had to change the name of it. Um, I don't know what the current name is. But I'm telling you, I, I was so inspired to hear that man speak, and this is what we need. So going back to that, do you think that's a good idea for San Bruno? Would, would you embrace if Dave Tanner got the outside sources and the, and the right, to, right near the Tamferan Shopping Center? You guys would be the hub. Because as we know, the Tamferan Shopping Center has bought, been bought by a, a group of investors Australia. Australia. Correct. And they're going to, from what I understand, and I could be incorrect, they're going to tear it down and redo it. I didn't know that they were going to tear it down. But yes, they do want to do quite a bit. I mean, and look to things that we're, we're probably going, oh, hadn't thought of that. Uh, whether Maybe housing, a lot of things are talked, but very little known as far as the direction yet. But yes, it has been purchased. Um uh, I will tell you, uh, oddly enough, my uh, what I look out of my office in San Mateo where I work is looking at the 101 freeway. So all I have to do is turn my head uh, at my desk and see the traffic congestion at all hours. And even with that discussion about what to do with the 101, there's, uh, you know, do you expand it? Do you not? Do you have it uh, told? Do you have it just, et cetera? Um, it has become an element that why developments aren't wanted in communities is because of the traffic aspect of it. And so that's what we're trying to address about with the transit corridor plan in San Bruno. Um, there was a time that the community long ago was saying, why are we having BART? Now, I think everybody is very feeling blessed that we have a station here. And I know if I have to go to the city for something, a, a business or council, I take BART. So if I have to go to a bag, I'm on Bart, you know. Uh, and I think I have even, you know, I'm not the young guy anymore, but you know, people are to. I have a friend who has a work meeting. He's taking the train south. So I think people want to have those options and opportunities. And we are behind the times when it comes to other nations. You have people that come back from and say, "Oh my God, that was so easy. That was great." And and we don't have that. And it's it is getting worse. And I can tell you, for a man who travels 101 uh, uh, in the morning and sees it out his window uh, five days a week, it has gotten to a point that um, if we don't start taking some steps and some people coming outside the box and finding options and solutions, it is going to get worse. And we're going to find ourselves uh, in situations. Friday is, is a great day to travel, but as we found out in the seminar, if employers can offer that and they all offer it on Friday, it doesn't help Monday through Thursday. So we have to be collaborative and say, well, maybe this agency or this uh, tech firm says you, you go Tuesdays, just so we balance the, the flow of traffic. Those are little things we can do just in talk rather than even have to build. So we need to look to everything. So with that said, would you think that, um, I, I had an opportunity to interview Carl Gardino with the Silicon Valley leadership, and he's pushing <laughs> regional measure three, which is the nine Bay Area counties, uh, in, in my understanding, it's to expand the Caltrain so that it could relieve almost maybe anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of the traffic. Are you familiar with Regional Measure 3? I am. Okay. I have some familiarity with it. And on the Caltrain, only because I've heard reports, when it comes to even the bikes on the trains, they're a capacity. They, they really are trying to look for that ridership has gone up where in Samtrams it hasn't. <clears throat> but on our train system... I hear it's even with the bikes, it's at capacity, which tells you it's working. And it tells you if it's full, 
then we need to actually expand. We need to do something because obviously if we're turning people away, that doesn't help you. And it's always that last mile. So if I if you can take the bike to the train station, that's that last mile and get off and get to work. That's what you also need to have. So we have to encourage that. Well, you know, uh, my my kind of passion was to see uh, a monorail system all the way down El Camino, uh, and which would drop off next to the trains and the buses. Um, Seamus Murphy is the uh, communication director for BART Caltrains, and I had a I had a exclusive interview with him and talking about it, and a couple of things. The Sam Tram's ridership is down, and I said, "Well, why is it down?" And he kind of gave me a real frank answer, and he said, "Well, it's only for the poor people and the handicapped." He says, "You know, people don't want to ride the train." Now, I don't know if that's completely true, but I can imagine with the young people that are coming in. Uh, that those buses are a lot nicer to ride when they've got nice air conditioning, Wi-Fi, and snacks on it, than for them to to find a, a Caltrain uh, uh, Caltrain bus or Cal- Sam Tram's bus to to get them to work. So, do you think we need to 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 see a collaboration of a transit district? As you know, each of the um, each of the cities um, we have a transportation committee. Mm-hmm. But we act in, in other words, BART's fighting for the same tax dollar. Sam Trams is fighting for the same tax dollar. All of the, the transportation are fighting for that same federal and state tax dollar, which is based upon ridership. We even saw that crisis a few years back where I, it would appear that someone had cheated on the, uh, on the, on the transit system, and in, in I won't mention where and when it happened, so that they could get certain funding. Do you think we need to, to have a transit district that, that is a collaboration of all of them together? I do. <clears throat> I, I think that it is almost essential nowadays. I mean, there's no real boundaries, meaning San Bruno or Millbrae or South City. It, it affects us all in, in one big county. So putting everybody at the table, having a collaboration and a vision and a plan, I think is more effective because it's not different agencies, and I deal with some the transportation authority, but you're right, you have different bodies that are sitting, but we're all trying to do the same thing and complement each other in, in various ways. So maybe it would, uh, shall we say, streamline the process, and maybe we then have a, a collective uh, outreach rather than each body trying to push uh, uh, what they believe is best, and I'm not saying it's not, but I think it also is, I don't want to say it's bureaucracy, but it can be more effective, I think, and efficient if you have a, a district-type element. Well, you know, we're seeing the blessings uh, and, and the punishment, too, from having all the success we're having. We got the Facebook, we got the Apple, we got the Google. And I've and I got to compliment your Facebook and your Google and Microsoft because they're bringing money to the table and they want to help with the infrastructure. Um, in San Bruno, do you have any of those companies that, that are partnering? South San Francisco has Genentech. Do you have a company out here that that um, that you guys have called on to uh, either work with housing or transportation? Well, we have YouTube uh, that obviously we have here in San Bruno, which is expanding. And they have purchased some of the properties and are looking to a large campus. And it is going to increase the number. And so we are looking to them as how are we going to get them in and out? What is the most effective and efficient way? Obviously, they have buses. They have other options that they give their staff. And so we are now sitting as they want to uh, go forward on their project eventually. 
and they've refurbished some of the buildings is how we're going to deal with the hundreds that it's going to be added to our community. And that is a major concern. It's in an area of our town that is best suited. It's an office facility. So that's what it is for. But it is quite a bit for the, the city. Uh, and we've had to make some modifications, which they have funded pedestrian safety and other aspects that they're coming forward. And they're, they're being good neighbors as far as teaming up with the school districts and uh, seeing what they can do for the community. So those are things that, yes, we will be talking and reaching out because they know it's an impact to us. And that in the early stage, that's being communicated that we need to work with this. Well, that's excellent. Excellent. You know, you're in a unique position um, on the peninsula as a mayor because your mayor term is three years. I know if you're a, a you know a president of the Lions organization, or if you're a mayor in San Mateo, or a mayor in the other, you have a one-year term, and that's a difficult time to accomplish a lot. So, for the listeners, tell them your tell us your vision in your three years, and tell us a little background because you're one of the only elected. You are the only elected mayor in in the San Mateo County, and and. I heard a little bit of a history on that. Why don't you tell the audience how that happened? Okay, let's see if, our, if we, if we heard the same story. So it was before my time. My understanding is that there was a, there was the rotation process, like in every other city, and there was somebody who was should be should have been could have been in the rotation process and was uh, skipped. And when that occurred, it caused an outcry in the community, and so therefore it went to the ballot, and the people decided that the mayor would be directly elected for a two-year term. And this four city council members would be elected to four-year terms. So what that did is two things. It gave you the directly elected mayor, and it gave you that every two years, a majority of the council's up and can change the directions of the community if they were dissatisfied with what we were doing. And that's what embarked. The reason I'm three years is because we have to get to the even years. Well, you know what is unique about that? You know, I've gone through all of the, the cities, and, you know, the mayor... Um, uh, to to some is just a figurehead, but it appears in San Bruno because of the elected process here and the way that you've designed it. It probably, if that was incorporated in other cities, we wouldn't have had a lot of the problems we had with the rotation of the mayors, <laughs> which is quite humorous. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm just sharing with that. I know you've you've read the newspaper. Whether we're not going to mention any towns in particular, but sometimes the rotation of the mayor doesn't always work. Uh, and to be elected is is an, an honor. So, in behalf of podcast by the bay, I, I want to before I close, I want to uh, you you've got a few more years. What 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 do you want to walk away knowing that you help accomplish, or or something that you put your foot down and 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 the foot's going to go forward into a new direction for the city of San Bruno. Well, for me and for my colleagues on the city council, uh, this first year uh, is busy. Uh, we have the first appointed city clerk that we'll be getting next month. We've always had it elected. The vote changed that. The clerk will be reporting to the council. And uh, I'm uh, after leaving here, I'm going to sign the agreement that the council voted on Tuesday, her contract, and she will begin. We also are recruiting for a city manager. And so we are in that process. We're actually having a meeting on Friday at 5 o'clock with the council to discuss negotiations. We also are having our upcoming budget and study session that we want to make sure we've got revenues and we've got a balanced budget and we can move forward. Those are the first six months of immediate, and it sounds minor, but actually it takes a lot of time. But we've also gone further out to talk about homeless. We've gone further out to uh, talk to the community about the recreation aquatics. 
So one of the big things I'd like to see done is I'd like to see the uh, recreation and aquatics program be a successful element that this community is just sees as a, as a pride and a jewel as we've had the senior center. It also is that our objective is by the end of this year to have the Glenview Crestmore area where the explosion happened concluded with the parks built, the roads paved and everything done. And that is something that it's time. It's gonna, this September will be eight years and the community, the neighborhood is ready to um, have their neighborhood back. And so I wanna see that happen. Those are some fundamental things, but it also is trying to, to continue to meet with the development aspects. We just had a presentation Tuesday of a lot of possibilities and options that are coming forward. Maybe a lot for the community to handle all at once, and I think also we're trying to be smart and wise with it. We're trying to be more collaborative and responsive to our community. And so my goal and objective this year are, again, hopefully getting the, the neighborhood back to the community, is getting a city manager on board, um, getting our city clerk on board. We have some department head vacancies. And I think we've been a collaborative council thus far with some good guidance from our, our past colleagues and really, what I've been honored, as you said, the, the elected mayor, is it is, a, it is a privilege. Could I have believed that as a young man at Cappuccino High School that I was going to be its elected mayor? Would have never thought that. I've also worked for the city of San Bernardino, so a unique perspective there. I was a city employee. So I get it. I know what it's like to be in the trenches. And I know what it's like to take a salary freeze. So I haven't lost that connection, and I want to keep that. And I know, you know, I've been blessed to have it, and I know that... We talked about Memorial Weekend. I've been asked to speak to tomorrow um, at uh, the cemetery, and I'll be there Monday. Um, so this has a unique community that is, I think, just realizing its potential. I want to hopefully bring us together, and it's not about where I live, what street I'm on, whether I'm on the east side of El Camino, the west side, or in the hills, that it becomes a community. It really is what it always has been. We have faced crisis, and we always come and we get through them. Whether it was the explosion, the YouTube shooting, this community has resilience and courage that make me an honor and very proud man to have lived here, uh, to call it home, and to be its elected mayor. Rico, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, we want to thank you for taking your time and thank you for being a good public servant. Thanks, Rico. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.